2: I'm Paul Chapman, and this is the Off the Post, Post Media Hockey Podcast. I'm here in Vancouver, joined by Vancouver Canucks beat writer Ben Kuzma. Ben, how are you? Not bad, Paul. Lots going on. Lots to talk about. Uh, let's get at it. Yeah, let's get at it indeed. Uh, just so people know, um, what we're going to do today, we are we were waiting on the Elias Pettersson hint and uh, the ruling from the NHL. We haven't got that yet, so we'll proceed. We'll talk about the incident in a little bit. We're also going to talk a little bit about marijuana, the NHL's response. Uh, we're going to look at goal scoring. We'll talk about Austin Matthews. We'll talk about the Leafs. And then we're also going to talk about some of the worst teams in the NHL, how the divisions are shaping up, uh, and just generally get into some of the news around the hockey world. So, so Ben, we'll, we'll start off at home, obviously, uh, the Vancouver Canucks playing in Florida. Pedersen, I, I mean, can we say he was taking the league by storm? I know it's sort of been overshadowed on the national scale with what Austin Matthews and the Leafs have been doing, which is fantastic, by the way. But Pedersen off to this great start seemingly embarrasses another player and what looks like an exceptionally uh, vengeful act happens. Is this Is this still where we are in the hockey world? Well,
0: I kind of wonder about it because, you know, even earlier on, it's almost like uh, the grassy knoll. Everybody has another angle of what actually occurred on that hit. Um, Pederson did uh, slew foot him earlier. And I wonder if that kind of got to Matheson. He got embarrassed in the corner, came out. And the one thing, if you really break down that sequence, he gets the stick between the legs. So now Pedersen doesn't even have the option of maybe trying to spin out of something. He's stapled to the end boards. And of course, he gets hit hard, which is a great hit. But coming up bringing the arm across the forehead and slamming him to the ice. That's the, that's where it's so polarizing. Some people in the hockey community will say, hang on a second. It's a hockey play. He's, he's trying to be physical. He's trying to be aggressive. It's a slighter player. It's a rookie. Uh, It's a learning thing. I don't buy any of it. I really don't. I I think it was a targeted hit. um, Because like I said, there was a slew foot incident earlier. He got embarrassed. His intent, Paul, to me was obvious. And that's what really gets me about NHL justice. So often, uh, they look at the injury. Oh, well, Pedersen slept great last night, and maybe it's only seven days. Maybe it's only, only so much protocol. We don't know. No two concussions are the same. It's for his for first. The uh, young brain has a more a capacity to heal quicker. But to me, it, you have to penalize the intent. And that, like we said earlier, that's what we're waiting for. Don't penalize the injury. The intent was a targeted hit, and that's why I think that there should be a suspension.
2: You know, I know Patrick Johnson spoke to uh, Sidney Crosby about this today because Mm -hmm. the Canucks will be taking on Pittsburgh um, on Tuesday night. And, you know, he had some pretty good things to say in terms of as a rookie, learning the league, learning. I mean, he almost said the guys you have to stay away from. So, you know, is this where we still are in the NHL, that there's a code? I know we talk – constantly I was talking with Steve Simmons last week about this and how you how you don't have the goon anymore and and scoring is up and we're seeing you know we're seeing great hockey that everyone look, loves but we're still seeing Tom Wilson suspended 20 games you know we certainly saw the incident uh in Florida between Florida and, and Montreal we saw some of this vengeance and then vows of what's going to happen this is still where hockey is right now isn't it well, it is to a degree. It's really interesting when you mention the word code and people on the periphery kind of
0: snicker at it. But you go into those rooms, Paul, and you talk to the players about what it's like, what the environment's like when you got young players like the Dylan Dubey uh, in Calgary. I had an opportunity to talk to him about that whole opening night here in Vancouver. He said the league would be lost without the code. Not just from a perspective of this uh, unity thing, but from a young player's perspective who's trying to break into the league, knowing that he can play without worrying about somebody running him right out of the rink. It may sound archaic, but it's it's a real big part of the game. And I'm sure Elias Petterson is probably thinking maybe somewhere in the back of his mind. You don't want a kid like that to get to the point where maybe he's hesitating, looking over his shoulder. He plays on instinct. He's so good. He's two steps ahead of the play. And you'd hate to think that coming out of this concussion eventually that he'll be a player who's less confident stepping on the ice and that's what it's all about. The, the players want to be able to police themselves. What happened here in the opener, you know they hit on him and then of course good Branson had to fight Hamannick. It was done with. It was done with. It was handled properly and there was a big build up to the game in Calgary and nothing happened because it was taken care of.
2: Well, I mean this is the issue I think that the NHL and, and it, the, what I find interesting in this is that we've We've seen just such a spectrum of opinions on this. We've had, you know, veteran players, retired players. Everyone seems to say there's nothing wrong with that or, oh, my God, we have to get this out of the game. Like, head injuries are no joke. Obviously, I mean, go down the list of players. Go back to the 70s if you want. But there are star players that whether you should give them more protection or not, and I've seen this argument be made. Brad May made it today. You know, why should you treat a star player different from anyone else? Well, this is the NFL argument. The NFL protects quarterbacks because people pay money to see quarterbacks, not offensive linemen. And I think this is something that the NHL is still struggling with is, you know the, the ethos in the NHL, don't stand out, don't draw attention to yourself. Here you have a young rookie who seemingly embarrassed a heretofore known as a as a clean player who came back with a pretty vicious act and gave him a head injury that's going to keep him out 10 days.
0: Yeah, I I I get Brad to a degree, but I also think he needs to understand that the NHL has to go through the evolution that the NFL is going through. I'd hate to be a linebacker, a rush-end, or a defensive tackle in the NFL right now because I don't know how hard I can hit the quarterback, and I better not be making contact head-to-head. I think eventually, Paul, it has to get to a place in the NHL where a hit to the head, whether it's intentional or not, has to be penalized. And I think Brad comes from a, a place of a bottom-six player who understand. I don't understand why star players are treated differently. Well, they are treated. They should be treated differently. I mean, where's the game going today? Younger, quicker, faster, better. Nobody's going to argue that. And when you have a player like Elias Patterson uh, falling to the ice like that, can't get up because his head hits the ice on contact, that's a concussion right right off the bat. And who knows? He goes into uh, concussion protocol for seven days. Could be longer. It's his first one. We're hoping it's a quicker turnaround. But hey, the NHL's got to go the way of the NFL. The NFL protects its quarterbacks. NHL has to protect its good young players. It, it
2: is a muddy argument, though, because no one's suggesting that that, you know, picking a guy up and driving him into the ice and seeing his head bounce off the, the ice, you know, no one's suggesting that shouldn't be a, an a offense on any player, no matter who it is. It's more the issue of, I guess, if teams feel they can do that to Pettersson or any other young player out there, they will. if there's not that deterrent. And who's the
0: next one? I mean, okay, Pettersson's out. Does that mean Goldobin gets targeted now? Does that mean Besser gets targeted again? Does that mean uh, some other young player in the Canucks gets targeted? It's just that specter of understanding that you can go out there as a young player and not worry about some guy trying to run you out of the rink. I know it sounds a little bit old school and a little bit archaic but it does persist in today's game intimidation that 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 game within a game is still out there and what better way to get to a young player than get him off his game
2: now it's funny that you mentioned that uh, young brains um heal quicker from concussions because the other issue this week we're going to see marijuana legalized in canada now the nhl and the nhlpa have a policy that doesn't test for marijuana Have you heard anything in all your years covering the NHL, in any locker rooms from any players? I know we've seen ex-players who are an advocate for for it. And to tie the two uh, subjects that we've been talking about together, there has been some preliminary evidence put forward to say that marijuana can actually help concussions. We've seen the damaging effect of opioids. Um, What do you think this effect will have, if any, on the NHL and players. I mean, we know it's only in Canada and in Denver. It's not like you'd be taking it over the border. But do you think teams might be more proactive in terms of letting their players use it as a tool to recover, get over pain? Yeah.
0: I think education is really important, too, because it's really easy to just categorize medical marijuana as having some kind of redeeming quality because no two concussions are the same. And, uh, you know, at our paper, we've done so many things in the past with concussions, and a lot of series we've done on brainwave optimization, things that they're actually doing now to map the brain to get it back functioning properly. Uh, I I think education is the key. I mean, there is no magic pill out there, and who's to know what the effect's? of marijuana are on anybody, let alone for medical purposes too. So it's interesting, like you said, it's out there. You already see uh, signs being posted at the Vancouver airport today that it's illegal to take it across the border. Um, Even driving a vehicle now, you wonder about
2: that. You're right. No one knows per se. There is some preliminary evidence that shows that it does reconnect damaged neurons in the brain, but that is preliminary. What we do know is that there's a ton of ex-players who have problems from opioids and painkillers. I mean, going back to Derek Bugard, you see these guys in the locker room after the game. Okay, it's a, such a cliche to talk about how tough NHL players are, but the pressure to be able to play the next night and to have to take something to get there has to be huge, does it not? It
0: is, and uh, I've certainly known a lot of them over the years. And, uh, of course, the documentary that came out, Ice Guardians, was an amazing uh, insight into the world of uh, the enforcer. And, you know, let, let, let's be honest here, Paul. I mean, today's game is the advance the advancements are incredible I mean there's no per se enforcer anymore guys in the third and fourth line can score they can skate if you can't do that you can't play anymore but it's interesting to me like like you brought up in the medical community anything that would maybe ease uh, recovery pain help there, there I think the NHL has to be open-minded to a degree that these guys suffer so much and they can get hooked like you said on, on pain reliever uh, medication if there's something in, in the medical world with medical marijuana that can help. I just think it's the tip of the iceberg. I just think we're, it's like peeling away an onion. We're only starting to find out what can really be a benefit to players.
2: Well, if anyone wants to to find out about the, the impact that head injuries can have on players and why you maybe should look at some alternate uh, things to embrace for this, they just have to search online for, you know, search Ben Kuzma and <laughs> Jeff Cortnall. Uh You did a wonderful yeah. piece last year on what he's been dealing yeah. with. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Cortnall maybe you should follow up and ask him if this is something that he'd recommend of marijuana. Well I think that's uh, I think you just gave me a story idea which is pretty good one here.
0: <laughs> yeah Jeff went through a lot uh, 15 to 17 years after retirement, uh, severe post-concussion symptoms, everything from sensitivity to light, um, nauseousness, uh, mood, uh, being irritable, uh, constant headaches um, and then Jeff went through a whole program with uh, a company called Valentis Clinics in Vancouver and Victoria who again specialized like I said earlier in Braveway Optimization. What they basically do they, they remap your brain, whether it's musical tones or they put inputs? The brain likes to mirror itself. It, if it sees familiar uh, inputs that it's familiar with, apparently it helps. And uh, Jeff has made uh, quite a recovery. Uh, he uh, did a big piece on him last year, as you mentioned. He's come kind of full circle on it. He only has uh, occasional symptoms now, but uh, not a lot, uh, which is a tremendous. Uh, a recovery for a guy who had to retire at age 37 because he just basically couldn't function anymore as a human being. So um, that's encouraging. And uh, I think uh, concussion uh, protocol that the NHL has put in place is a step in the right direction. But I will caution everybody out there wondering about Pedersen. Uh, no two concus- concussions are alike. And we're just going
2: to have to take this day by day with him. Okay, so quickly, I just have seen some breaking news, two games for Matheson.
0: Ah, that's why I nailed it. That's what I called for this morning. And and I think I think Paul what, what's interesting there is that uh, you have to kind of set a precedent. The players have to know that if, if there's a similar action, uh, that's going to be the result of it all. It's almost like NHL salaries. Everybody's looking for comparables when, it, when they're going to re-sign a player. Well, that guy makes that over that term and whatever. He did this, that many points, whatever. He's that kind of player. I think now when you have a similar incident that the NHL safety department can say, you know what, now we have a comparable. Now we have a comparable because uh, another young player could get hit the same way Pedersen did. I'm glad. I, I, he's not a repeat offender. I didn't think it was going to be multiple games. I thought it might be two. Uh, I think that's a positive development for the league.
2: Okay, that's we'll wrap that up there for the first period, Ben. We'll be right back uh, where we'll talk about the Leafs and the scoring in the league this year. So stick with us. We'll be back at the Off the Post podcast.
1: How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3 Canada's News Covered.
2: Welcome back. I'm Paul Chapman. I'm joined by Ben Kuzma of the Vancouver Sun and Province. This is the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. If you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, if you like it, give us a rating uh, and let us know what you'd like to hear here. So Ben, I wanted to cover, of course, we've just talked about Elias Petterson, We've talked about concussions. We've talked about ro- marijuana. Let's move to some happier things on the ice. Yeah. Um, Some of the stuff, we're used to making fun of Toronto and everything that we hear about the Leafs, but some of the stuff that we're hearing come out of, uh, well, seeing in Toronto at the start of this year is pretty remarkable. Um, Since 2005, there have only been 20 occurrences of players scoring 50 goals or more, and seven of those were from Alex Ovechkin. You know, Matthews has 10 goals already, and he's only played six games. Like, where are we headed with this team? Well, I think the first thing you do is you don't take a penalty against
0: the Leafs. I mean, they got one of the top power plays for obvious reason. Now you add Tavares into the mix. Uh, He's got, you know, four power play goals as well and I think the interesting thing there is a, kind of a coming out party a bit for Morgan Riley. I always thought he was a better offensive defenseman that he is, and uh, he's second in league scoring, and again, a ton of power play points. I mean, let's be honest, the Leafs are always on this trajectory of, you know, they're getting, they're getting better every year. I mean, the pain that Mike Babcock talked about a long time ago wasn't for very long, because when you get high draft choices, and you're smart enough to start the rebuild years ago and, get, and jettison older contracts, they are where they are today for good reason. I, I think a lot of it has to do, Paul, with it's early I mean, we're seeing a lot of high-scoring games around the NHL. I mean, suddenly uh, goals against average are are skyrocketed. Guys are having trouble having 900%, or I should say 90% save percentages. Uh, PKs aren't what they should be around the league. As you know, as time goes on, teams will tighten up defensively, but the Leafs are off to a ridiculous start. And and what's funny to me is that, don't get me wrong, uh, Matthews is a great player, but suddenly he's been portrayed as you know, the second coming of or whatever in the NHL. And some guy in Edmonton just won the scoring title for a couple of years in a row. But that's Toronto. We get it in Vancouver. Uh, It it is an exciting team. But to answer your question about scoring, I think a lot of it has to do with the early season, a lot of lackadaisical play, and a lot of power plays that are pretty good because it's not just PP1 anymore. Guys have at least a half a dozen skilled players. And it's not just get the puck back to the point and hammer it away. Uh, There's a lot of skilled play out there.
2: And uh, like I said, getting back to the Leafs. (laughs) Don't take a penalty against them. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned trajectory yeah. with the Leafs. I mean, we've seen over the last two years, obviously, uh, Ovechkin and Crosby win Stanley Cups. And, yes, there are so many other great parts of those teams, but those guys have been the offensive faces of the N- of the NHL over the last 10 years or more. So are we seeing a bit of a changing of the guard? Now we're seeing, I mean, obviously, Connor McDavid's been there for a while, as, as a player when the team hasn't been there. But now you're seeing Matthews and the Leafs, and again, qualify that it's early. But they are a team that a lot of people were picking as contenders to start the season, now maybe people are even doubling down on that bet. Like, are we seeing a changing of the guard with some real great young players emerging here? Yeah, we are, and with the Leafs. uh, But, uh, you know, just getting back to them collectively, I mean,
0: can they outscore their problems? I mean, I don't think their defense is that great. I think they're still struggling to find a guy, a right-shot guy. Frederick Anderson today has an e injury. We found out earlier today he's uh, kind of day-to-day or could be week-to-week. Suddenly, there's maybe a couple of cracks. Uh, But it is an offensive juggernaut. And I just think the way that uh, Mike Babcock... uh, Basically, coaches these guys. He he gets through to the kids on a different level. I mean, the reason Patrick Marlowe and the veterans like to play for, you know, for uh, Babcock, he treats them differently. He treats vet- veterans differently. You can always reach younger players on a different plane about becoming total players. You know, that 200-foot game, and then getting them to accentuate their their, their positive play. And Matthews uh, is. Always, he, he, when he came into the league, he was like a horse. He knew this kid who had a four-goal game to start off was something special. And he's continued to grow his game. And the, the only thing I can say about it, Paul, is, is probably more the collective. These kids have come into the league today. Remember how we always, always used to say, well, they got to go to the minors and, you know, they may need a year. No. Right across the board, kids coming in. Pedersen's a great example here in Vancouver. They play in elite programs. They're so dialed in so early. They, they're they not afraid of the big stage because they've been on it all their lives in international competition. So when they get to the NHL, yeah, it, it, it's the best league in the world, but they're not in awe of it. That, that really amazes me. They're not in awe of it. So what's a better story, Austin Matthews or Morgan Riley?
2: Because uh, his numbers are pretty impressive well, too. Well, with
0: Austin Matthews' wardrobe, he might be the better style. I know some of those... Uh, pictures we've been seeing about uh, player of the game and some of those wild quotes I I think Morgan Riley because he's kind of been that quiet guy North Van kid who's just been a really good solid defenseman but he always moved the puck well and if you move the puck well you're going to get involved if you move the puck that well you're going to be on PP1 and if you're PP1 in Toronto that means you're going to Pile up the points, and to have thirteen in six games is, is something special. He's got a half a dozen on the power play, which speaks to it. So uh, that that's probably the story they're not talking about in Toronto because
2: it's all Matthews all the time. So just a couple of stats here, and again sure. acknowledging we're in. You know, this is a really only the third full week of the of the NHL sure. season. Um, teams are averaging three point one five goals per game. Awesome. Yep, and uh, last year it was two point or. I think an average over the last few years has been 2.8 goals a game. The thing that intrigued me, they say goalies are only stopping 90.7 of the shots, whereas in the past it's been 91.2% of the shots. And if you understand shot percentage, that's actually quite significant when you look at the number of shots in a game. How much of this is goalie equipment or how much of it is you said either some sloppy defensive play, uh, power plays, the refs are always calling something tighter and tougher at the start of the season?
0: Uh, maybe goalie equipment to a small degree. I, I think a lot of his sloppy play. I, I think he hit the nail on the head there. I mean, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury suddenly looks like he can't. He had a great game in Philly on Saturday, but his save percentage is well, eight-something, yeah. and that's not Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, that's a lot of loose play in front of him, so uh, I think that uh, has a lot to do with it. Uh, I, thought, I think early on in the season, as much as we think teams have uh, things solidified with their systems played. We, to, I, I don't know what it is about the first 20 games. It's that it's like teams can't seem to th- defend. They can't box out properly. Uh, suddenly, you have two guys behind the net when there's a guy in front of the net scoring the goal. We have a you know a Canuck game like that. We had a screen capture of that. I think that has a lot to do. With it. I'm not so sure it's the equipment. I, I don't think it's that big a change. I think uh, goalies have adjusted it to pretty well and I think the thing that amazes me is that goalies are way more athletic than they used to be so I'm surprised when their save percentages are that low to start the season so if I was a betting man I'd say a lot of it has to do with just the way teams are starting the season Uh, there's a lot of um Accent on offense and not enough accent on what they're doing behind the blue line, and you know coaches around the league they'll tighten up. Watch, watch the goals in the next month. Suddenly they'll. they'll so dip.
2: I was going to ask you that. They'll like you, like we, one of the complaints you will hear about hockey versus some other sports is that it's almost overcoached. That you know, rather than embracing offense, coach, like you talk about the least, rather than say, "What the hell? Yeah, we know we've got cracks in goal and on the blue line, but we'll try and outscore teams." Yeah. You know, eight seven or eight eight five. But do you think we'll see a league-wide adjustment where we're going to see more? I don't even want to necessarily call it trapping, but maybe a little less adventure on the on behalf of some teams. Well,
0: yeah, most teams. Like like we that. Saw, see
2: that with Anaheim. Yeah. I saw it on the yeah. weekend. Like Anaheim get a lead, and all of a sudden they were like, "We don't even want to go in your end anymore," and they ended up losing the game. Well, they were outshot. What was that? The
0: second period, thirty to three in Dallas, which is unprecedented. They also got seven guys out of the lineup but somehow they have a 4-1-on-1 record. So that speaks to to the early season. Getting back to your earlier point, Paul, I think a lot of this has to do with teams are trying to find ways to score, so they're all activating the D. Even the Canucks try to get that guy involved, and suddenly when you have an odd man situation, a a defenseman involved, it causes all kinds of problems for your coverage. And I think a lot of teams are doing that earlier. Uh, Maybe that speaks to the fact that there's more scoring, and maybe it speaks to the fact that you're giving up more goals too because suddenly – Somebody's pinching down in the corner, and it's an odd man rush. And trust me, from a fan's perspective, if you're watching it, it's kind of like, whoa, 1980s again, or where are we? We're, tra- we're at 6-6, and they're going into overtime. But uh, again, coaches will tighten up because it drives them crazy. And yes, you'll see teams playing the trap, and uh, you know the, the onus is on winning. And uh, they see a beauty in a 2-1 game where we see a beauty in a 7-6 overtime game. So uh,
2: I'm not going to call you old, but you've, <laughs> no, been on, old. You've, been, you've been on the beat for a while. How many years now? Uh, 20 here.
0: Yeah, This will be 20. And yeah. you,
2: but you did cover the Flames yeah, winning Yeah, we'll say 23 up.
0: all told if we're doing yeah, for yeah, County, so, Pro so, Hockey. So yeah. you've
2: seen a lot of hockey, Sure. Um, which is where I think I love your perspective that you think coaches are going to put an end to this. But how does the start to the season rank for you like in terms of the hockey being played? Because... While whether you talk expansion or um, you know TV numbers or the league's watered down, yeah. I think people generally were surprised at last season with the success of teams like Vegas with seeing what we saw in the playoffs, that people were actually more engaged in the, in the playoffs. To see it pick up here and see this increase in scoring, to me, is like, this is a good sign. Yeah,
0: I think people are having a hard time, like when we kind of navel-gaze here in Vancouver and knowing what the Canucks are up against here in the next few years. There's actually more parity, I believe, around the NHL. You look at Carolina uh, turning a corner. I think Edmonton will be better. Calgary will be better. Look what's happening to Vegas, uh, struggling out of the gate because suddenly the the Hunter has become the hunted. I mean, I had a tough road trip to start. Uh, What excites me is just... The youth and the enthusiasm and the speed of the game. That, it's second to none. I mean, like you said, I've been around so long and I see a lot of players who are now scouts and I tend to talk to them between periods. They can't believe the breakneck speed that today's game is played at and the way that young players can come in and, and dominate. And it doesn't matter, you know, we tend to focus on this division, but around the league, young players coming in and it's not so much, hey, let's give them nine
2: games and send them to the minors.
0: No. Go find a place to stay, kid.
2: All right, that's the end of the second period. We'll be back in the third period. We're going to ask Ben to rank some things around the NHL from what he's seen in the first couple of weeks.
1: How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian news podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe you can find us on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your audio that's 10 3 Canada's news covered
2: all right thanks for coming back this is the third period of the off the post podcast I'm Paul Chapman joined by Ben Kuzma Vancouver Sun and province uh, beat writer I'm covering the Vancouver Canucks in the NHL for as we talked about two decades we, we've covered various topics in the first two. I just wanted to look generally at the league. Can you just give me your top five teams from what you've seen right now?
0: Well, uh, aside from what the Canucks did to them the other night, uh, I, I do like Tampa. Uh, I, I do think that there's a, a pedigree there uh, in the sense of understanding what it gets to takes to maybe get back to the conference final. Uh, Bolts are interesting to me. This is a team that's built on speed and small size up front, and they have behemoths on the back end and a pretty good goaltender. It's interesting how uh, Tampa Bay is built. Uh, I, I I have Tampa coming out of, uh, out of the east. Um, just in terms of a Stanley Cup uh, type of scenario, I, I see the Winnipeg Jets uh, getting over a hump they should have got over last spring in, with uh, Vegas. I just think this is a team that's purposely built. This is a team that's, Not only fast, but it's big. It's ready for the grind of playoff hockey, and sometimes you have to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. So I've got the Jets, and I've got Tampa Bay as my top two teams. I think you would be uh, remiss if you didn't put the Leafs into that conversation. Uh, Nobody scores like that uh, without having something at play there. Um, You know, in the West, I'm hard-pressed to find a team that's really uh, on the cusp of of pushing. You'd like to think Vegas has the pedigree, but you know when you lose players, uh, and suddenly you're becoming the hunted. And Fleury's struggling, and James Neal's moved on, and they're struggling to find offense. Carlson doesn't have a goal yet. They're finding out what that's all about. Uh, you'd like to put Vegas in there, but I, I won't because I just think that its reality has has, has come into play. Um, L.A. Anaheim. San Jose, I, I think you could kind of group them all together. Uh, I think there might be something special going on with San Jose getting Carlson there. I just think uh, with Thornton's commitment to another year, that uh, I'd watch out for the Sharks. So now we've got uh, you know some teams out east. Paul, I, I don't really, I don't really see a team that uh, is, is striking a lot of fear to anybody early on. I mean, they're kind of having an interesting renaissance in Chicago. I mean, I don't know whether that's uh, Jonathan Tays recommitment to being the player he can be and already having five goals. I think it's getting back to parity. I have a really hard time as a, when I get past, the, say, top four teams, two in each division, uh, and say, here are your top five
2: teams in the league, because I think there's a lot more parity. I really do. Okay, who do you think the five worst teams are? And I say that knowingly because... This is a national podcast, and we have to mention teams like the Senators and the Oilers somehow. And you know what? A team that's maybe been a mild surprise is Montreal. Haven't been as bad as a lot of pe- people thought they'd be. But which are the yeah. which teams do you think are in real trouble this year already?
0: Well, Arizona has not scored a power play goal this year. And Arizona had a hard time finding an even strength goal through about six periods. I'll put Arizona at the bottom. Uh, I still think I, I'm encouraged by what I see in Ottawa, but I think the Senators will turn into the Senators. And I think they will really struggle. You know, I, I the funny thing is, you, you you normally would put a team like Buffalo in that category, but I'm not going to. Yeah. I think there's too many young uh, pieces in place. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, we're all buoyed by what the Canucks have done so far, but it's going to be a struggle. So you have to put them in the top five, you know, worst teams just because now you've got Pedersen hurt, and not just that, they're going to struggle to score eventually. Um,
2: you know, the, the, you've seen a, you've seen a lot yeah, of the Oilers yeah, over the years. Like, yeah. we've been waiting for six, seven years for these high draft picks to pay off. And even though, you know, you look at the Taylor Hall situation, you look at them, you know, changing their makeup, but then they get McDavid. And McDavid, as a player, has produced. But when when are the Oilers actually going to show us that they can make a move and progress?
0: Well, this is interesting, too. There's already a lot of pressure in Edmonton for them to take the next step because the biggest problem in Edmonton has always been the support cast. Even back when they had, uh, you know... uh, when they had uh, all three young kids playing. Taylor Hall played, Ryan Nugent Hopkins played, and Jordan Eberle played, and they all played on the same line. They all got hurt in the same year, all had shoulder injuries because they didn't have the support system in place. And I think that's the one thing that they're so worried about in Edmonton, and that's why Dreissel is playing second-line center. They're trying to come up with a top six. But having said that, I think they'll be better. When I saw them earlier this year, I thought they were a lot quicker. I think Calgary will be better. So uh, it's it's easier to, to... to look at teams that I think are going to have a turnaround or take another step than, say, the five worst teams in the league because, I again, I'm getting back to this parity thing, and I, I think it's a real thing in the NHL. Uh, I, I saw Carolina play the other day, and whether that has a lot to do with uh, Rod Brindamore, the fact that their Corsi numbers are great and they're finally scoring, um, that's interesting for a team like Carolina to actually be a little bit on the upswing.
2: Talk about Montreal a little bit if you can. You know, that's a team that people... I say Montreal and Ottawa, I saw a lot of people saying this is going to be a rough year for them. They're going to be in the high lottery uh, pick positions. Um, Made some big moves, got rid of Ready. Carey Price looks more like the Carey Price from a few years ago. And now you're looking at a scenario where Shea Weber comes back healthy. He's out until the end of November or some late November. What's the future for the Habs? Well, you know... I don't know if you can mention patience and Habs in the same
0: sentence in Montreal because if you've ever been there, the passion for the game is—it's not you can't match it. But uh, Katiemi, the the young Finn, uh, a guy they again Paul, a guy they said you know what we don't quite know what we have here. We're going to give him nine games. He's there. He's this is another example. I think that there has to be patience in Montreal. They have to understand that uh, they've got to build around guys like even even a guy like uh, you know Brendan Gallagher who does so much for the team. The fact he can't be the heart and soul and the captain and everything. And, you know, they lose Pat they, they lose a guy who has a 30-goal pedigree. He only has one point, uh, you know, uh, in Vegas. He's struggling too. So uh, I think that Montreal is is at a fork in the road. I, I, I You can question some of their moves. I think there's tremendous heat on Bergeron. How are you going to return us to the playoffs? If they don't be patient in Montreal, they're never going to get back there. And there's such you think there's you think there's pressure in Edmonton or pressure here in Vancouver to turn things around. It's nothing like Montreal, and uh, I think they're years away. Uh, and we're going to have to see what, how it plays itself out. I just I don't think they have the pieces yet. I just don't.
2: So you talk to a lot of scouts as you, as you um, mentioned, uh, GMs, coaches around the league. Do you think we're going to see much trade activity this year because whenever you see you talk about parity a lot in this podcast whenever you see parity I think as the as the year moves on there's that temptation to swing for the fences a little bit because the right mover too can put you over the top I think we're going to see a lot of
0: buyers uh, come late February and uh, it'll be interesting thing and I think we can even you know channel it back to here in Vancouver I mean Alex Edler is playing 26, 28 minutes a night. He's playing great. Uh, He also has a no-trade clause, and he's in the final year of his contract. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you move him at the deadline, try to get a half pick and re-sign him. I can see Edler wants to come back. Uh, He loves playing here, maybe not a long-term deal. But then again, that speaks to what team would want to add Alex Edler uh, at the deadline, a team that's going for it all. So I think you'll see a lot of buyers
2: at the deadline. Which divisions do you think are, I mean, it strikes me, we talked about Anaheim earlier, they're off to a great start, but, you know, traditionally you'd look at Anaheim, uh, LA, and obviously San Jose, the California teams, but nothing spectacular happening in with, with any of them. The Pacific Division's looking a little bit mediocre. Um, there have been a few disappointments, but also a few surprises. Is there a division where you see there being real battles this year because that's where the bulk of their games are I mean obviously Washington and Pittsburgh are going to go nose to nose we see the Rangers tank um, I just see really mixed results across the league from the first couple of weeks
0: yeah I don't see anybody like uh, and maybe this speaks to it being early in the year I don't see somebody who's broken out of the gate and gone gangbusters and you know we we tend to focus so much on the Pacific division here and it gets back to what I said earlier about Vegas I think Vegas is, is you know it's reality and you know is LA adding, is adding Kovalchuk going to do something for LA, stabilizing the fact that Dowdy's going to be there for a long time? Uh, can Jonathan Quick get back to being Jonathan Quick? Uh, as much as no team has established itself in the Pacific Division, I think it's going to be a three or four horse race. And to me, that's exciting. Well, I don't think anybody's going to run away. But, with it.
2: but you mentioned Flurry so, and how, he, yeah. you know, OK, he did have a good game, but Flurry carried them so far last year. We focus a lot on scoring. We talked about goalie save percentages. Is this going to be? I know Anaheim's been doing it with, you know, obviously getting exceptionally strong goaltending, and people look at that and go, "Yeah, but you can't keep it up facing that many shots all year." Is this the year we always talk about the goalie market being so low that someone says, "I need a goalie," and let, let's go out and get one to make it the difference? Yeah, that would be
0: really interesting, and it wouldn't be the norm to suddenly. Uh, uh,
2: no one seems willing to do it. Nobody's willing to do year it after year.
0: I, I don't think you teams are so. They're very nervous about their goaltending. It's hilarious. When you ask a head coach about his goaltending, he kind of defers to the goalie coach because he, he, you know, just just stop the puck. I don't really know how we're going to play this elf out. They come up with the schedule. Um, it would be really interesting to see a team make a move early uh, for goaltending. That would mean somebody would have to have one that they're willing to let go, and that usually means... You know, you, you acquire a problem. You, you don't get a starter. You get a backup. And, you know, look at Anders Nielsen's a perfect example here in, in Vancouver. Suddenly it's October and he's Mr. October, right? He's Mr. October. I mean, they found out in Buffalo and Edmonton and the Islanders that Anders Nielsen will eventually turn into Anders Nielsen. He's a career backup. He's in his last year of his contract. And he's trying to save his job at age 28. So, um, the best you can do in the NHL is to is acquire a backup. And maybe you have a situation where you're not that sold on your starter and you have to split the cage. I get that. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Frederick Anderson, now suddenly the, the, the Leafs might have a problem in goal. I mean, how nervous are they about that? And, uh, again, it, 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 it just plays itself out early in the season. It, it's an exciting start, and you can – Kind of dissect every position in terms of what's a team going to do there. The Leafs need a right shot defenseman. Do they have the goaltending? Are they going to play the trap someday? So uh, it's just really interesting to see. But goaltending, uh, like you mentioned, Carey Price earlier, you can't buy that stuff. It's like you can't. It's like defensemen in the league. You can't trade for them. You can't get them at the trade deadline. Or you can't get them in free agency because it costs too much.
2: I see you brought your notebook. Dump your notebook. What else has caught your eye through through the start of the year?
0: I mentioned him earlier. Um, Jonathan Taves has caught my eye because here's a guy who's kind of gone through uh, everything in Chicago. Stanley Cup championships, uh, disappointment, uh, changing his diet, becoming – they call him salad boy because he grows his own uh, vegetation in his apartment in Chicago. He's got one of these big glass-enclosed penthouses where he's become Mr. Everything. Uh, I just love the resolve of a guy who said, I'm going to come back and I'm fully invested in everything. Uh, Can one player turn – A franchise around in terms of getting it back to the dance? No. Uh, But can he be a contributing factor? Yeah, and like I said earlier, he's already got five goals. I see a lot more in Kane. Uh, I think they got a great young player, Nick Schmaltz. The Brinkat
2: looks good. Um, Something about the Hawks. Watch out for them. They've caught my eye. You know, You talk to a lot more players than I do, but when you do talk to to guys around the league, especially guys who've gone on playoff runs, they will tell you how much physically it takes out of you. When you look at teams like Pittsburgh that do it two, three years in a row where you have those long runs, certainly we saw Chicago and LA do it. That takes a physical toll. So when you look at some of these teams now and they have early exits, maybe it revitalizes and re-energizes some of those older guys.
0: It could. I mean, and it, the other side of that, too, is when you do talk to those players, they can't believe how long the summer was. And it really, really upsets them. The fact that, you know, they kind of get out of their regimen a little bit because when you're playing, you're obviously staying in shape. You take a break. You usually don't get into your real training till June or July, depending on who you are uh and it really kind of messes up their summer and i did talk to jonathan taves at at the draft in chicago about it and he said when they you know when you're out on the outside it's no fun it messes you up and maybe that's part of it it's not just the uh you know rest and recovery part of it all maybe it's the mental refocus and say i don't want to go through that again and maybe that has something to do with it
2: we've talked about the west a lot obviously with you covering the canucks and uh, the leafs are a great story talked about tampa we kind of haven't talked a ton about the teams in the middle of the country what are you seeing from Nashville, St. Louis, Dallas? Yeah. You know, teams that all have over the last two, three seasons have had varying degrees of expectation but had sort of come away from the top contender but there's certainly st- still a ton of potential there.
0: I've always thought of Dallas as I don't quite understand the stars with all that star power. How do they not take the next step? And a lot of it obviously is predicated on goaltending. You can't have players like Tyler Sagan and, and, and Ben and, and not be uh, more of a player. So uh, that's my concern there. Um, again, in St. Louis, I mean, David Perron's gone back to St. Louis for how many times now? And he, and he had a hat trick last week. Um, Tarasenko kind of carries that team. Again, it, it's one of those clubs. You know, Minnesota kind of falls into that category. Columbus falls into that category. They've got they don't have that one guy um, who's going to carry them on their back. They don't have a superstar. Uh, but they should be better than they are. And and I said last year, I thought the the stars were going to make a run, but uh, a lot of it's predicated on goaltending. And, you know, you you look around the league too, and, uh, you know, I've gone in and seen, uh, you know, you you watch the New York Islanders play, who can score goals, but they can't defend. So, um, again, that gets back to my, and I hate to be so blasé about it, it just gets back to the thing that I don't see anybody emerging from any packs and, and running with anything. And maybe that speaks to more about the league than individual teams.
2: Okay, so just because I've pinned everyone else down who's done this, okay. Kristen Anderson, Lance Hornby, and, uh, and Steve Simmons, you told me you think it's going to be the Jets and the Lightning and the Stanley Cup. Or are we finally going to see a Canadian team and the, the, the drought?
0: Portage and Maine.
2: It would be quite very, something, win, wouldn't a it? very
0: windy day. It'll probably snow. It'll be like late June. But there's just something about them, Paul. I just think the way they've methodically built the Jets, and they've got players who don't get enough credit. Patience. Patience, uh, good goaltending, wheeler, guys who don't even get enough credit for how hard they play. And I, just, I, I think it's time because we want that parade in Winnipeg, not some other place in canada but,
2: right? well i don't know i th- th- that's where the leafs are always such a great story and and going in we knew they'd be better signing Tavares was the story of the off season yeah. and to see them actually deliver on it and deliver such a way so early even if you don't like the leafs they're going to be fun to watch and follow There must see tv and my watering
0: hole that shows every leaf game home and away i'm sure i'm going to have to stop in because i believe they're playing tonight all right anything else you'd like to get off your chest before we go I'm just happy, again, about the uh, suspension we talked about earlier, Michael Ma- uh, um, Matheson uh, getting the uh, two games on Elias Pettersson. I think the league has
2: taken a step in the right direction, Paul. It's kind of a moderate approach. Yep. You, you do suspend him, but it's not excessive. So. There's a line. There's, yep, a line. there's a line. There's uh, a line. And our line is uh, off the post. <laughs> we are the Post Media Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. This is produced by Kwana Thanks to him. Thanks to Ben Kuzma from, for joining us. You can reach him on Twitter if you want at, at Ben Kuzma. If you'd like to follow Ben's covering of the league, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And if you liked us, give us a five-star rating. We will be back with more hockey from around the league next week. Thanks for listening, everyone.